Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, girl. Hey, welcome back to my weekly podcast, Taste of Taylor. I am OBS, your host, Taylor Strecker. And right now joining me, I'm so excited. We've been trying to get together on a podcast for a minute now. Naz (laughs) Perez, welcome to the show. Hey, girl. Hey. Oh, my God. Taylor, I'm so excited. I love that you say, hey, girl. Hey. (laughs) I feel like we we already have like a weird kinship. I've never talked to you before in my life. And I just... Yeah, I feel like we have so much in common. So I'm very excited for this conversation. So we have a mutual friend slash colleague in common. And so she like, she friend match made us, if you will. <laughs> yeah, we had that that Bumble BFF, but IRL. Very rare to find. Very rare to find an organic a, organic friendship meet these days. I know, right? So um, <laughs> so right before we got on, we were talking about like where we are and stuff. And I was like, honestly, save it for the podcast because... Naz said something off the bat, which is like literally exactly what I said in regard to the situation. So anyway, so Naz is like, where are you right now? And I was like, oh, I'm in the Hamptons. So my girlfriend just started a new job and her boss is like all over. He's like in New York. He has a place in Florida. And so they decided like just given everything um, to be in the Hamptons right now just to be safe. And um, so we're staying at this like insanely gorgeous house in the Hamptons. I'm in the theater room right now. Um, (laughs) Oh, wow. You're rich. No, no, no. No, no. Correction. We are good at social climbing. We are not rich ourselves. (laughs) I literally say, that's my number. Riding those coattails. Riding them coattails. My number one social skill is I'm the greatest social climber you've ever met in your life. I don't mean to be. I just, I am just drawn to people that I like. And sometimes those people happen to be have movie theaters in their house. Sometimes those people have movie theaters. <laughs> Iconic. Amazing. So, um, I love it. So Naz is like, so I asked Taylor, I was like, so is it like a Nancy Myers movie over there? Like, cause I've actually never been to the Hamptons, which is kind of surprising to me because I, I love to travel. I'm yeah. from South Florida. Um, you know, I consider Boca Raton my home, which is predominantly Jewish. And so I feel like a lot of people that I grew up around, like, are always and have been in the Hamptons. In the Hamptons. Exactly. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. Naz was like, oh, is that what's the Hamptons like? And I said, well, it depends. I said, (laughs) it can be amazing, like, beyond, like, blow your fucking mind, or it can be the biggest disappointment ever. And then she said, oh, I thought every house was like a Nancy Myers movie, which, Naz, the first time I ever came out here was, Jesus Christ, I'm going to age myself now. Mm Mmm. 
15 years ago with my best mm. friend who's like from college. She's still one of my really good friends today. And she was like, we're going to the Hamptons. It's going to be so sick. And I grew up like New England. I used to go to Nantucket like with my parents. Yeah. So, like, I was like yeah. super expecting to walk in like with fucking Diane Keaton, you know, right in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Super yeah. gorgeous house of water. <laughs> and literally. With her hat on. Yeah. Making oh, an omelet. With her turtleneck yeah, yeah. in 90 degree weather. And literally. I'm obsessed with her. Um, right. I'm like, she's my vibes all day long. Um, she's everything. And I got to the house and I was like, this looks like a 1985 crack den. We got to leave. <laughs> and I started crying. I was such a brat. And no, I was, you didn't. I you did. started crying. I started crying. I was like, I can't stay here. And I, because my expectations were, it's not that I grew up in a Nancy Meyer movie. I just expected Hamptons equals luxury. And guess what? A lot of it uh, does not. So we were like. So Taylor is now confirming that there's a slums to the Hamptons. I am confirming that. And, and, wow. and, and beware. Be careful. Like make sure to do like the Google search of a house if you're going to rent it because you really want to see what you're getting yourself into. But I will say it was like it literally like there was like red light bulbs in every room in the house. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, when it comes to like share houses, they like have like 19 mattresses. It's like adult drunk like drug fueled summer camp and i literally oh, was wow. like i feel like i am it like i i feel like i am hanging out with a poor pablo escobar and i and i don't like this i like i want to <laughs> i want to go back to my shitty apartment on the upper east side i mean upper 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 east side in uh in new york time <laughs> but i ended up staying and i met my now husband my ex-husband so i really should have gone home because so yeah. many years of my life would have been saved had I just <laughs> That's gone home. But anyway, so you can fall in love with the wrong person yep. and get an STD in the Hamptons. <laughs> it's not all. It's not all Diane Keaton and uh, Nancy Meyer movie yes. vibes. Be aware when you come out here. You know, ne- you know, you never really know what you're gonna get. But you either get something truly disappointing or truly great. But uh, yeah. So wait, Nat. So wait, so yeah. where? So you're from Florida. You're born and raised in Florida. I was in I. I mean, I was born in Houston, Texas. My mm-hmm. my father was like in the military. So we he retired in Florida. And yeah, when I tell people where I'm from, I grew up in South Florida. And so I went to high school in Boca. And now and, then I and went, now where are and you? And I went to college at UCF, okay. Central Florida, Orlando. And then I moved out to LA after. And I've been here ever since 2012. Okay. And you're, I mean, we're going to get into your career because I want to talk today about like really how to pivot when it comes to your career. I mean, you didn't do like a massive pivot, pivot. You're still in the same industry, but I feel like it's very hard to go from producing, like producing behind the scenes, if you will, to in front of the camera, but you have done it successfully and seamlessly. And I feel like a lot of people, well, people like there's a study I read years ago that said that people have major career changes like three to four, the average person, three to four times in their life. I'm like, that's Mm -hmm. like a major career move. So Mm -hmm. maybe it's not so like far-fetched, but it it does blow my mind to think about like shifting around. But I think that especially right now, people are really needing a change and really in a position where they can actually look at the world and go, I actually can do this. You know, we live in, everything is different now. So I want to talk about your journey because your resume is just super fucking interesting. Um, Oh, thanks. But also, so Florida, you're from Florida. Let's talk about Florida for a second. Yeah, the penis of America. <laughs> oh, Florida. It is like it is like a joke within itself. It's getting really hard to defend Florida these days. Um, I I actually I don't even want to say that. I do not defend Florida. <laughs> Florida is it, it. But you know what? Growing up there, especially being like 
you know, I'm Dominican. And so it was, it's South Florida is so dope in the way where I did grow up, you know, on a neighborhood street where, um, the people that lived to the left of me were from India. You know, I was raised by my Jamaican neighbors. Like, you know, we had white people that lived across the street. So it is very South Florida, especially like in the nineties and two thousands was such a melting pot right. that I, I loved growing up there. I really did. Well, my mom, my mom grew up in Fort Lauderdale. So I have a love for Florida. Oh, okay. I, oh, okay. I, yes, I, I yes. really do. Like I actually, I always say to my girlfriend, like someday I want to move to Florida and she's like, and I'm like, no, I'm telling you, <laughs> there's parts of it. And I know we have a lot of listeners in Florida, so, like, we're not shading Florida yeah. at all. Like, we've got love for Florida, but, I, but listen, no, yeah. Florida has such a bad fucking reputation. Like, I, uh, I just recently moved from Manhattan to New Jersey. You can yeah. judge, judge away. Say it all. Um, <laughs> but That's like, so funny. But Jersey's like the My... armpit of America, you know? But actually, yeah. I think Florida is now taking its spot. Yeah. Well, see, yeah, I always thought Florida was there. But yeah, I guess being from Jersey, Jersey is sort of seen in the same vein as Florida. But my, I agree with you. I love it. My dad is always like, when are you coming back? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm definitely going to die there. Oh, for like, sure. A hundred, I was like, I'm going to die in a country club in Boca oh, probably. Like, <laughs> That's where I want to go. You know, eating the at the carving station at Woodfield Country Club. Oh, no, no, no. But, I, I, I want a Cobb salad. Nobody makes a Cobb yeah. salad better than a fucking country club. <laughs> Or, or like a chicken Caesar wrap. Ooh, ooh. So good. Yes. I, I actually worked at country clubs growing up, so I'd, I'd always love the food. But yeah, no, I love Florida. Um, and what going back to what you were saying before, the journey, I think it is, um, it's a very modern thing and a very generational thing to now have different types of career paths. I think it's something that our parents aren't necessarily used to. Right. Um, but I think it's very common now for people to leave a job after a year to two years to explore something new, which I think is really cool. I mean, you only live once. You I, know? I agree. I mean, that, that well, that's the thing. Like, so I am Jen, I'm an elder millennial, but technically like <laughs> I, I can thank you, Eliza Shelsey for like Total. coining that term. Total. Yeah. But I can definitely see the world through the people. POV of a Gen Xer. And so like that, it was so, it's so interesting because millennials really, they change the way that we approach our careers. Like it's okay to leave a job before a year. I remember when I first started my job, my dad was like, I don't care if you hate it. You stay there for a year. Otherwise your resume yeah, looks exactly. like shit, but that's not the case anymore. And like, no. I know millennials, we get a bad rep, but like you're welcome world. Cause we're fucking great. And also can the Gen Zers stop making fun of us? Cause I'm getting really sick of it. Like no one I likes know. us and it hurts my feelings. <laughs> it really, it really upsets me because I think we're the best like we really have we have genuinely been through everything yes like the recession in 2008 not one millennial cannot tell you how they were not affected by like the recession in 2008 like living through a pandemic we were the last generation to not have like not have internet we did not have cell phones growing up yep and then we got beepers and pagers and that so it's just it's like it's such a unique thing. It is such a unique experience to to consider to call yourself a millennial because you knew what life was like before social media. And now you know how it's affected by social media. Yet we can get the jobs because we get social media. Exactly. So it's um, it's just all and and I don't want to like go down a wormhole because I feel like you and I could literally talk for hours. But um. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of ageism in the workplace when it comes to let's when talk about it. No, let's start do it. to let's do it. <laughs> you I... know what I mean? Like it's always like, well, you're young, you're a millennial, and it's like, well, well, we've we've also lived through a lot. You know, the older generations don't like us because they think that we're like entitled and we need gold star gold stars. 
which I don't understand what's wrong with that. <laughs> I I actually I actually agree with them though because we grew up in a very um blue I call it the what is it the participatory ribbon. Oh yeah. Like age where it's like everybody everybody got a ribbon ribbon. at soccer if you ran you know so we we do need that external validation i obviously don't speak for all millennials just like you know people i know in my own experience but yeah i will say this my girlfriend every day she'll like tell me something she did like at work or like i don't know she didn't fuck up the elio's pizza that we made for dinner and she'll be like (laughs) gold star and i have to literally throw her an invisible gold star she grabs it she throws on her chest and she's like thank you but i mean for it's i mean listen if mario if nintendo 64 mario kart taught us anything it's that that gold star just feels so damn good when you get it you know so it's bad though it is unhealthy because i i'm a perfectionist and it's something i struggle with every every day i mean girl i'm telling you right now i'm i'm a bit older than you and i and i too suffer my name is taylor strecker and i'm also suffer from perfectionism but i learned to let that shit go I mean, I would say I, when I got a divorce, do you, you know you fail when you get a divorce. And it's actually the most freeing thing in the world. And listen, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in recovery. So I slip back into it every now and then. But letting yourself not be perfectionist, it's like the greatest gift you can give yourself in this yeah, world. But Taylor, it's not a failure. It's like, it's like a brave success to leave something you're unhappy in. It's like, why does society... It's society. It's these societal pressures of you. Oh, no, like poor Taylor. There's so much shame around. I mean, you know, I run a support group for people that are heartbroken called Heartbroken. Oh, we're talking about like my wheelhouse. And it's just like there's so much shame around loneliness and breakups and being sad. And 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 it's there's a paradox because people look at you and they're like, well, they think they think it's contagious. They're like, I don't want any part in that. So then it becomes even more isolating. And then you feel shamed about it. So you don't reach out to people. Right. And it's like. Why, why is that a bad thing to leave something you're not happy in? That's so crazy. You know what? It's funny you're saying this. And I do want to talk about um, your support group because it's incredible and I want everybody to hear about it. And it can be a support group for really, and especially in these times, anything. But you know, basically you're giving away free therapy, Nas, which is like so important. I think, every, I think if you're a card-carrying adult, and if you if you have to have a driver's license to drive a car, you should have to have like a license from a therapist to live as a human being. Call me crazy. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it's it's true. The support group is free, and it's it's actually not therapy because I'm not a licensed therapist, well, but it is a support yes. group. But it is therapy. It's therapeutic, therapeutic in the sense where you get to go somewhere for free because therapy is so expensive. Right. And so many of us. I mean the. It, this is also a millennial issue. We we can, this conversation can go a million ways. The fact that like you and I probably like bust our ass work so hard and like a lot of my friends are like, I can't afford a therapist. Like half of us can't afford houses. It's like that's an issue in, in our in our country well, and in our world. It's gonna that we work so term. hard and we can't we can't afford these things. That's so weird. So we're the first generation ever to um, basically live beneath our parents' success. The American dream historically has been every generation, it goes up, 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 and up, and up. And like that might be in small increments, like maybe you make $10,000 extra above and beyond your parents than they made. But like to be, to, to I guess, fall behind our parents financially i mean in terms of like you know our jobs what we make i mean what what we have for savings owning property this is the first time i literally posted i literally posted this meme and it says 
Um, it says Zoomer got TikTok, Millennials got MySpace, Gen X got AOL, Boomers got to buy a house and go to college while supporting themselves with a minimum wage job. <laughs> like, yeah. like, exactly. It's so it's the most accurate. Exactly. Wait, real quick, as a millennial, I want to know what you think about Gen Xers because I just recently had on. Um, Big Kid Problems, Sarah Merrill on the show. She's oh, fantastic. Oh, I love Sarah. She's I great. love Sarah. And so we talked a little bit about this as well. And I made a statement of, well, we both were joking how like millennials basically, or I'm sorry, Gen Z or think that we're ridiculous. So like millennials are just categorically fucked because nobody likes us. And I had right. a Gen Z reach out to me, a listener, and she was like, uh-uh, don't, don't do that. She's like, I love you. I've been listening for years. I got my friends listening. So there is some Gen Z love, thank God, for millennials. Yeah. But I will say, you know, I kind of think we are the most fucked generation of them all. And, <laughs> and yet, and yet, and yet, we're the most hated. So how do we change things? How do we fix things? And also, you guys, uh, Naz has a great podcast. It's called I Don't Get It Podcast. Um, your co-host is Ashley I from The Bachelor. We're going to yeah. talk about your yeah. Bachelor connections in a little bit. And nice. it's all about millennial confusion. Yeah. And so, like, mm -hmm. for example, but you guys really cover the spectrum. It's, like, from why don't I have a boyfriend to, like, white fragility. So you guys, like, really, right. you cover the gamut. Right, right. It's all it's all like what's happening around us. It's it all started because Ashley, I was her producer on The Bachelor. She had never had a boyfriend when I met her. I have also never had a boyfriend technically until this day. Um, and so we were kind of like, let's let's do a podcast. And or someone approached um, Ashley to do a podcast and she's like, what should we do it? I want to do it with you. And every day we, we were in the car and we were like, I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> and so we, you know, like we just say that all the time. We're like, I don't get it. So well, like, give me we, an example. Of like, I mean, I get that. Well, first of all, the fact that you and Ashley, I don't have like never actually had a boyfriend is fucking mind boggling. If you don't want to have a boyfriend, that makes sense. But if you've wanted one, yeah. you're gorgeous, you're smart, you're funny, you're awesome, the whole package. <laughs> so, so I don't get it either. Yeah. Well, it's not us. That, that's what I figured out. It's not it's not me. I'm not the issue, even though I thought I was. What for is a the issue? Time. And most women are not the issue. It, it's just it's a lot of extraneous factors, you know, like maybe I'm like really into career. The dating scene in L.A. isn't that great. You know, I've done a lot of spiritual and inward work as far as perfectionism goes and all this stuff. It's hard to want to date someone that hasn't at least sort of dabbled into that a little bit and, and try to work through stuff themselves. It's a whole thing. But Ashley is happily married now to Jared. Um who she met on paradise but yeah what was i i was gonna say something and i forgot what i was gonna say just about um, not but getting yeah. in a millennial oh yeah basically we yeah basically <laughs> we were like are we did our first episode on how we don't get how girls get boyfriends and um especially at our age and we got so many messages from people when that first episode went out that were like, I too have never had one. And I feel like society looks at me like I'm weird or whatever. Yep. And we're like, yeah, so this isn't a weird thing. Like all of us are normal and it's, it's not, it's a very real thing to be single and be 30 right now. Well, it kind of goes back to what you said about my divorce, right? Cause I'm like, it's a failure. Cause whenever I have to go to the doctor's office, that's why I don't go to the doctors anymore. And I have to check a box. <laughs> you get single married or divorced. That's like the word. Divorce is a box. Divorced is a fucking box, which you wouldn't really wow. notice it if you weren't. And and I I didn't really either. And now I'm like, that's my box. I need to I need to marry my girlfriend like soon so I can have a new box. 
Why does that matter to, to the doctor if you're divorced? I or not? don't fucking That's no. an example of a man making like a medical form for the world, probably. <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me, but I should probably read into it. But that it really felt like a, but judge. but that's what that like society the society society yeah. makes me feel like divorce is a failure. But if I'm being completely honest, divorce is fucking awesome listen freedom if you don't freedom. if you have kids divorce is not awesome it's super not no, awesome. marriage story watch marriage story on netflix it's 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 a goddamn nightmare yes uh prenups all of it right. we've also done a podcast on prenups Ooh. so yeah that's that's the the spectrum of the stuff we talk about i, I it, love talking about prenups i had to sign a prenup <laughs> i think i'm still into a prenup although with my girlfriend's new job i think maybe i shouldn't sign a prenup you know what i'm saying oh really <laughs> you should listen to our podcast because we had laura wasserman on she was so laura dern who won yeah. the oscar yes. for supporting actress for marriage story it was based on laura wasserman who we had on the podcast oh. she's an la divorce attorney um so i think you should listen to that i will because it's prenups are fascinating I, I, it's like i love you sign this so you don't get any of my money if it doesn't work out i don't it's no, like such a it is funny weird concept well because yeah. for me it's like well when i had to sign when i was like oh of course i'll sign one like i'm marrying into a wealthy family that's what you do and that's like the way right. that i get to show that i'm not like a gold digger right me right, right but then my lawyer was like this is not an this this is atypical this is not a usual prenup this is a very detailed prenup that I oh I, wow yeah so then I was like whoa hold up okay so I was fine signing a regular prenup but not like a souped up prenup <laughs> but the thing is is like you got to think I, I'm very much a realist like I would most likely sign one because I'm an entrepreneur myself yes and so like yeah if things don't work out like there's people that inherit you know houses from their family and, yes. and all that stuff yes. and, and they don't want that stuff the family just doesn't want that stuff to go if it doesn't work out. Like, I, I understand those things. I understand. But yeah, that things. must be. But I also haven't been in like a full fledged relationship, let alone have been married like you have. Like, I don't have relationship privilege like you do. <laughs> so I don't I don't know what these like emotions and feelings like feel like. So who knows what I well, would feel a, like. A, a pre, it, it was, you are conflicted with the prenup because you're like, I, I get this from a logical standpoint, from, but from an emotional standpoint, you're making me feel like you just fucking don't trust me and we're going to get a divorce. And like, then right. you start to think about a divorce before you're even married and now I'm I divorced. Know. So I truly don't know, like in my, because my girlfriend and I, we're going to get engaged, we're going to get married, but I do, and I have said like, you know what? I'm older than you. I have more assets than you. And right. I think it would be good to have a prenup. But now <laughs> I'm wondering, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I'm conflicted. I'm listening to your podcast. I'm listening to that yeah. episode. Listen to it and then make, because obviously it's case by case. Yes. But yeah, it sounds like you have a lot of stuff going on too. So there's probably some stuff you want to protect. And you having been through it before, I can imagine like, you you know that it's like, it's not like rainbows and butterflies. It's probably, divorce is like messy. So I can put myself in both positions on right. opposite ends of the, of the prenup now. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, it, and I'm like an empath. So then I would feel bad making her. It's a complex on. feeling. Yeah. It's complex. It's so, and that's why I love, I love you already. I mean, <laughs> I loved you the minute, the minute, but because, um, because I work in media and I feel like we don't see enough complex people in movies and shows and like things are very complex. Not everyone is like into one thing, right? Not all women feel this way. Not all men are this way. You know what I mean? Not all divorced people are sh ashamed about it. Right. Like, I feel like we need to start breaking those things and talk about how we are, you know, sort of complex and our experiences do make up who we are, you know? But like, I think that, the, I think that that going back to this idea of, you know, a generational conversation and millennials, I think millennials are, I, I think that they are disliked definitely by older generations because 
they're changing the rules and it's really annoying when you follow the rules yeah. and then somebody behind you changes them and then they flourish. So it's, uh, you know, that's how I look at the, like, the negativity is like, no, 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 they just jealous that we get to break the rules and we still are successful. <laughs> um, because yeah. I, being a millennial is great, you know? And like you said, like, I, if I was a Gen Xer and I got a divorce, it would be like a stain forever. But like, yeah. I upped the ante. Not only did I get a divorce, I decided to go lesbian right after. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm just like, fuck it. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. But I feel like that's the same thing with being single. Being single used to be like something so sad that as society we look at women and, you know, if men were single, George Clooney, they were studs. You know, they were bachelors. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. If women were single, they were spinsters, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. But um, that's changing. Yeah, it is changing. And I um, there's a movie out on Hulu right now. It comes out this Friday. It'll probably be out by the time people listen to this podcast called Palm Springs with Andy Samberg and Kristen um, Milioti. And I, I love it because um, it does ask a lot of existential questions. It does. It sort of challenges people who um, it's a rom-com. That's all I'm going to say. Don't read into the plot. But it's my favorite film of the year. Um, and I just love it because it challenges people who maybe think like life isn't better with someone. But so for me, you're exactly right. I so deeply hate being single, but I so very much love being single. Right. And so it's a paradox. And you are exactly right. Just like being a millennial where it's like, yes, it is not weird for me to go see Holland Oates at the Hollywood Bowl, but also have a TikTok. Like we are very, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we're very complex. Yep. And, and these feelings are very confusing. The same with heartbreak. Like um, when you are heartbroken in a romantic heartbreak, because I define heartbreak as overwhelming distress. So really any kind of heartbreak, anything can cause heartbreak, losing a job, yeah. a dream, being in a fight with your mom, fight, fighting with friends. They're almost more painful than, than a romantic one. Yeah. But when you feel a specific romantic heartbreak, I remember feeling Taylor, I hate this person. I never want to hear from them again. This is the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. In the same moment, in the same moment that I felt that, I was like, I really wish he would call me right now. Of course. That is confusing as fuck. <laughs> so we're, we're, again, we're just very complex. And I think people need to remember that and, and, and have empathy when people like you are going through a divorce or, you know, if a friend comes to you with a problem or, yes, you're, you, you are managing a millennial at work, whoever you are, whoever's yeah. listening right now, it's like, Everyone has their own experience, and, and it's and it's really complicated to navigate. So let me ask you. So do you think, because I've had this conversation a lot, like, through the years, because I worked with Cosmo Magazine for years on the radio. So, of oh, course, we talked about, Cosmo. right, it's the best. So we talked about relationships, yeah. like, ad nauseum. And I got to a point where, like, I started off very, like, well, you, like, you have to have a boyfriend. If you don't, like, it's, like, really sad for you, and you're, like, really depressed. Like, I was just such a mm -hmm. fucking idiot dickhead. And then I started to go, wait a second. I have a lot of friends who are really cool, really beautiful, really amazing, super single. And, yeah, maybe they're looking for somebody, but they're not going to settle. Like, I had, I, I had, I was a part of the club of people that was, like, fuck it. You like me? I'll marry you. You know, yeah. like, like yeah. I never was a pursuer. I was always like being pursued. Thank you very much, Disney films. But like, <laughs> it never occurred to me that like I had a say in the matter, which is so embarrassing. To That's admit. but isn't that no, no, but it's great. I think it's great for you to say that because you know what, Taylor, a lot of people probably feel that way, especially millennials growing up. We yeah. did grow up on Disney movies. There's a part of me that I, I call myself a hopeful romantic. I am a, yes, I am a woman and I, um, you know, I am attracted to men and I, 
yes, I'm very dominant, especially in the workplace. I have no problem walking up to a man. Does it mean that I want to? No, I am a tra- I'm traditional right. when it comes to that. I would rather a guy come up to me. That doesn't mean that's right or wrong. But you're absolutely right. Being single, especially today, especially in the pandemic, is been has been the most coolest suckiest experience ever and and in the past couple years it it really does suck taylor because my friends will be like first of all the one question you get is why are you still single why are you single and you're still asking that is that parents what's hilarious is sometimes i i think that about guys i'm like oh this guy looks really great on the app why is he single and i'm like oh i don't even like it when people ask me that and i'm doing it to someone else like that's hip that's being a hypocrite (laughs) and so so yeah so there's that question then there's like then there's the people that are like, well, you know, it's just going to come. You know, you can't look for it. You can't look for it. And when you're single, you're like, what the fuck do you mean? You don't look for it. Like, I have to, like, put myself out there, right. obviously. Right. So then you put yourself out there and you're out there and you're out there. And then it just nothing's working out because, you know, it's a numbers game and guys aren't wearing their masks these days or they're just being weird or they don't respond or Whatever it is, again, this is my experience. Yes. I'm not speaking for everyone in the world. I'm not speaking for every millennial. I'm sure a lot of people woman. can relate to what you're saying. Yeah, I just need to preface it <laughs> that I this is my experience. So, yeah, so then I go out and then I'm like, oh, like nothing's like hitting, you know? Like I don't like anyone. Do I wait for a spark? Like am I supposed to feel a spark right away? And if I don't, there's people that are like, well, it'll grow on you. And it's like, well, how long does it grow? Is it a chia pet? Is it two dates? Is it eight <laughs> dates? Like is and the answer is there is no formula. There is no formula. But it's it, there's constantly like contradictory evidence, contradictory advice being given to people that are single. And it's and honestly, if you're single right now, like I feel for you, dude. Yeah. And I'm going through the same exact thing. I know. Because it's really hard. And then and then it's like I want so then I could just be like, all right, well, I'm just gonna take 2020 to focus on my career right now. Like I went on a date recently, the guy was like a little he wasn't weird, but he wasn't on the same page with me when it came to wearing a mask. And I was like, you know what? Like, it's just, it's just getting even, that's crazy. I'm sorry. But that, I know that's judgment, but like, that's, I, I try, I really, and I know for some reason masks are political, which is insane because we're in a pandemic and it's actually about people's health. I digress, but like that, I try not to judge, but I can't, I cannot judge. Like he, what do you mean he had a thing with a mask? He just wasn't, it's like when we were walking around people, you know, there are people that like chin strap it, whatever. I don't care what your view is. Like I genuinely don't like, I'm just trying to do good by me and like help, you know, save the people around me and like do the best I can in this world as much. We're all just trying to do our best. Yes. But it's, so yeah, a part of me, Taylor is like, this is shitty. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm not going to date the rest of the year. Like I'm just going to take 2020 to focus on me. This, this year is shot, but then I can, but then you can reverse it and you can look at like the positive, right? What's the positive about dating right now? The positive about dating right now is you can know on date one, if someone's on the same page as you on a pandemic, the, another great plus is you can talk about black lives matter. You can see on the first date, you can talk to a guy about race. Like we were never, that was like not a thing that would come up on a first date. Never. So so yeah, it's always, again, life is a two-sided coin and I try to always just look at both sides. Okay, I really want to go back and talk about um, your career because I, I, I don't want to miss talking about it because it's really <laughs> fascinating. So Aww, thanks. you basically, you got your big break on the Ellen show, right? Producing basically. Yes. Well, I was, no, that was my first job out of college. So I was a production assistant. Production assistant. So I was, you know, I was getting coffee. It was just my first sort of um, gig out of college. So if you will, PA work, I dated a guy. Oh my God, this is so crazy. Yeah. I dated a guy and he was a PA. His like dad pulled strings and got him like on set. And he came home and he was like, I quit. And I'm like, Oh my God, why? What happened? He was like, it was the worst day ever. And I was like, what happened? And he's like, they <laughs> asked me to get coffee. 
disgusting. And I was like, you're disgusting. That is so (laughs) disgusting. (laughs) You would think that that's disgusting. Anyway, so yeah. Well, listen, but uh, Taylor, on the topic of coffee, I I tell people, so I went to, I majored in broadcast journalism. I wanted to be a sideline reporter, work in sports. I interned at like a million places in college, then decided um, out of college that I wanted to be like the next Juliana Rancic. I thought she was so cool. She was, if you know, I'm going to age myself now. If you don't know who Juliana Rancic is, she was the main host on E! Entertainment Network, E! News. And so I was oh, like, Naz, that's more in line. I know Juliana Rancic. I know. I know you know who we, she is. You and I were doing so well on our first date. And he just ruined it. Julian Rancic <laughs> is my arch nemesis. Oh, wait, really? Not really. It's one-sided. Oh. She probably doesn't even know my name, but she got me oh. in so much trouble one time when I worked at Cosmo Magazine or on Cosmo oh, Radio. Really? She complained after I interviewed her. Oh, no. I'm so sorry, Taylor. <laughs> That's so sad. It was really weird. So- you know what happened? It was her and Bill came in, and they were fighting but like you know when you're like the third person in the room and a couple's fighting and somehow it, you like it's like it's it's it was misdirected anger and so she like left and was like that was the worst interview and you know what maybe it was i don't know but i can tell you this it wasn't that bad <laughs> and so <laughs> she left and went to like us weekly and was like somebody said where were you just and she said oh i was at sirius and i went on this 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 and i caused a radio and someone said oh my god taylor i know taylor and she was like oh horrible and that i know i know i know anyway i can't talk about it i'm having ptsd i'm so sorry to trigger you i can tell you i'm having a fabulous experience being interviewed by you this is like the greatest for me so well tell your role model that (laughs) (laughs) well so i want to be the next her but you brought up coffee and so what I tell people about the probably the biggest thing that launched my career was out of college. My parents, you know, being Latino parents, don't really understand the entertainment industry. They were very much like, be a doctor, be a lawyer. You know, like we came to America for you to do that. Right. <laughs> so um, I was like, yeah, well, I want to go work, you know, in L.A. Um, so I took an internship out of college. And I, I want to say the sentence again. I took an internship out of college, even though I could have gotten a job. Right. And I know that the, the, the workplace landscape is just trash right now. Yes. So I feel you if you're trying to look for a job right now. I'm just letting you know that I did that and it got me in the door and I got hired at Ellen within a month wow. because I was such a good intern. And the reason why I was such a good intern is attention to detail. It's really not that hard. And it came to getting coffee. So when an EP would ask for a coffee, other people... PAs would sort of just run out really quick to try and get it the quickest. And I would say, what size? Hot or cold? Cream or sugar? Do you want milk on the side? What kind of sugar do you like? I would bring napkins. Like, it's like, it, that, it's literally that easy to get your start in the entertainment industry. And I don't think people genuinely put that much attention to detail when it comes to a little thing like getting coffee. Right. Coffee is so important. I had an intern one time when I was at Sirius. She said, I'll do anything, but I, I don't get coffee. And I said, then, like, you're literally fired. Because that's like, we, <laughs> we, we do morning radio. We need coffee. It's a four-hour show. We need coffee. So if you can't run downstairs and get coffee, if I wasn't on the air... I would gladly run downstairs and get coffee for this whole entire fucking office. But that's, and you know, it is. It's like, I think some people, it's like, no, I'm here for experience as an intern. And you're like, no. Your internship is a foot in the door. And it's your way to show people that you can listen and pay attention to detail, which you But I wonder now, Taylor, is that us being boomers now? Like, is that us just because, like, that's how we had to come up, you know? No. There's no... There's nothing wrong with getting coffee. Getting coffee is like <laughs> the most wonderful <laughs> thing you can wrong. do for anybody. You're not like, 
I just, I was living with my parents literally for three weeks. It's the most wonderful thing you could do. It really, to get coffee like in bed, I mean, that's why hotels oh. are, have like survived, right? Well, I will say, so I, 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 I like, I was at my parents and every single morning my routine was get up and go get coffee. And I would get coffee for the whole house. And like everybody was like, <laughs> oh my God, you got my right coffee. Like, you know, it's just, it's like, it's, it's, it's a way to show people that you listen, you hear and you love them. So getting yeah. coffee is an honor, everybody. And look what it can lead yes. to. I agree. I agree. If you are in a position where your internship is just you getting coffee, no. then it's like, okay, yes, yes. reevaluate. Yes. I obviously got so much other stuff out of working at Ellen. And so from there, I, I, even though I got this job, I was making $9 an hour sleeping on my mom's friend's kid. I was sleeping in my mom's friend's kid's toy room in an air mattress. I was literally sleeping on an air mattress, waking up to like Fisher price. Like to, I would step on the toys on the way to the bathroom, <laughs> making $9 an hour just so I could, you know, live in LA and work at Ellen, but I never lose sight of what I wanted to do. And that was work at E. So I obviously it's 2000 or it's 2020. I was going to say 2020. <laughs> it's 2020. You know, I don't know if you could do this anymore, but back in 2012, I drove to E on my lunch break one day and I asked them where HR was and I handed them my resume. And so shortly after that, I got a call for a three month gig to work award season, the, the Oscars, the Grammys, Golden Globes, SAG Awards. And I was like, oh, what do I do? You know, like, what do I do? I have, I just got hired at Ellen. Right. I can stay in LA. I can pay for rent now. Like they hired me. Do I leave like the number one daytime talk show to go work at Eve just for three months? And the answer is yes, you fucking go right. because YOLO, YOLO was a thing. Again, going to age myself because you only live once and you can never lose sight of what you want to do. If I wanted to be executive producer of Ellen one day, then I would have stayed at Ellen. But right. that, is, that was not my dream. That was not my trajectory. And I tell people all the time, even when I left Bachelor, I tell them it was a dream job, but it wasn't the, the dream, dream job. job for me. And so there's a difference. And so, again, do you just care about what people think and what you tell people when you tell them where you work? Or do you care about what you're actually waking up and doing every day? So I left. I jumped. I worked for E for three months. I was Ryan Seacrest's production assistant no. at the Golden Globes. Amazing. I was, it was, it was honestly incredible experience. And I got in with them and I still work with them to this day. I worked at the Met Gala for them last year and I got to interview people at the Met Gala, oh. the same team that hired me back in 2012. So, and that was my dream did, was to host the Met Gala. And I held the E mic on the carpet. Did you get to wear that a fancy dress? That would have never happened. Did you get to wear a what? super fancy dress? I, I mean, of course I dressed uh, up. I mean, you had to wear all black because I was, you know, I wasn't the host. Zuri was like the host for E. I was like sort of the other side of the carpet as a producer, but I'm also a host. Yeah. So it was, it was so cool. But anyway, so after E, Taylor, I was like, after the Oscars, I, I was unemployed. I didn't have a job. And I was like, right. oh my God. Award like, season. Right. I was right. freaking out. I was crying and I was like, oh my God, like, what did I do? Did I make the wrong decision? Am I going to have to move home? And I've always loved men's fashion. And again, I told you I worked in sports in college. Yes. Like I wanted to be a sideline reporter. So I, w I worked for like Tennis Channel, ESPN. I was a runner for NBA Entertainment whenever they'd come to Orlando because that's where I went to college. And so I, I was reading GQ magazine while I was unemployed. And I remember Ryan Seacrest asking everybody on the carpet, asking men on the carpet, like Steven Spielberg, George Clooney, Ben Affleck, who are you wearing? And I'm like a massive fan of Joan Rivers who like sort of coined oh. that term at E. And I just love fashion. I know I, I totally get it if you don't care about fashion and whatever. Um, but I, I really did, especially at that time. And I still do. And, um, and I thought to myself, Taylor, well, if there's, 
Oh, I was reading GQ, sorry. And I was reading about this designer that was making clothes for NBA players in downtown LA because they can't just walk into no. Givenchy and Louis Vuitton and buy a suit because they're seven, seven feet, feet tall, tall <laughs> 300 pounds. So they can't wear ready to wear. So in order for them to sort of dress up, they have to get things custom. And this was at a time where 2012, 2013 was at a time where the the walk from the bus to the locker room for an NBA player became like a fashion runway show. Oh, yeah. And they just started dressing to the nines. And so I said to myself, well, if there's people out there that care what Ben Affleck's wearing and what George Clooney's wearing. There's got to be some people out there that care what LeBron James is wearing, what Dwayne Wade's wearing. Smart. So I made this website. I interviewed this guy that I read about in the magazine. I, I bought a domain called sidelinestyles.com. I still wasn't making any money. I was still unemployed. But I found like this marriage in college. I always tell you to find your niche. And I was like, this is, I was like, this is my thing. Like, I'm going to be the girl that talks about um, sports and fashion. That's like sort of my, the marriage of the two things that I love. So then, E ended up having an opening. They like held on to my resume. They had an opening in their True Hollywood Story department. So oh, you know, a couple months True after Hollywood that, story. exactly. So oh. I worked on those. I learned how to tell a story. I became an associate producer. And while I was working there for two years, from 2013 to 2015, before I got laid off because the department got canned, <sighs> Style Network called me, and they were like. Um, we saw your website and we need a girl to cover the ESPN award awards, the ESPYs. And, um, we know we need someone that knows about fashion and that knows about athletes. Wow. And I was like, all right, and well like, I can tell you what a niche, like, right. Exactly. I gotta say, exactly. That's, I was like, yeah, that's the key. That's something that if, if you're listening to this, thinking about career change or like attaining your dreams, really I'm, my advice that I think listening to you, Naz, like think niche, yeah. think niche, like your own specific thing that really, Right. And I, and especially when it comes, everyone wants a podcast now. Everyone asks me like, how do I start a podcast? And I, I, I talk, the question that I meet them back with is why are you starting a podcast? What do, what is your POV that yes. isn't already out there? And it's okay if it's already out there, but like, what, how is it different? Right. Um, but anyway, so style now, so I covered the ESPN awards, LeBron James ended up wearing, he won MVP that year in 2013, was wearing a red suit made by the designer that I had oh. first interviewed that inspired my website. So I was like very in this world. Um, style network was like, we love you. You know, like YouTube was like starting to be a huge thing back in 2013. They're like, we're going to launch like a new style news, like digital thing. And so in my head, Taylor, I was like, I made it like I'm 23. I have no agent. Like I, fu I fucking did it. Like I made it. Three weeks later, the entire style network got canceled. Oh, my God. The entire channel got canceled. So the long story short version to, like, my whole career path is so then so then I continued to work at True Hollywood Story. 2015, we got laid off. Um, and I was like, it was I went into like I wanted to continue pursuing producing one because I really loved it at True Hollywood Story. But two, because I needed a job and I had to pay rent. Yep. And so. I was like, I need to work in reality. Like there's so many reality shows like Housewives is blowing up. Like, but the only show that I watched was The Bachelor. And the reason why I love The Bachelor is because I love love. Yeah. <laughs> Never had a boyfriend. I'm fascinated by the concept of love, how like you people move across the country for love. People root for a certain sports team for love. Like I was always fascinated by like why people did that. Yeah. And it was just something I'd never felt. Patriots. Now I'm an Eagles fan. Oh, exactly. Man. Isn't that so weird? <laughs> the things we do for love. Yeah. So, so I had, um, I met the line producer at the bachelor. I'd never worked in reality. I had like multiple meetings with them. I was like, listen, I don't, I've never worked in reality, but I have all these ideas. And like, I've worked in sports and like the bachelor is like, 
people look at it as sports for women. You know, like I have a lot of ideas. I'm single. These are the dream dates that I would love to go on. And I think, again, when you go in an interview and, and you're not qualified because I was not qualified at all. One, you have to be likable, especially in television, because oh, yeah. it's a fam. It's a family. So I, you travel around the world with this person. Yep all year round so they want to be around somebody that they want to be around also long and two, hours long oh my god TV, yeah 16 hour longest. days yeah i work seven days a week 16 hour days i average like four to five hours of sleep a night which is oh. sleep deprivation yes it is yeah so basically you have to just prove like like just say what i lack for in this experience i make up for with this yes you know like never just say what you can't do and so i think i really came through and i was i was so excited and i got the job and i worked there for two and a half years i became like a producer i learned how to produce television and again wasn't my dream job i've always wanted to be a host i've always wanted to interview people and actors and and um, I, I just love movies and TV and the way they make us feel when we walk out. I'm an empath like you are. Yeah. So I said to myself, okay, well, if I'm at Bachelor, there's a bunch of different positions here, but which is the one that's going to help me the most for like my actual dream? And that is interviewing the cast. So if you're in a job right now that you don't love, you still need to be like doing the best thing there that's going to help set you up for like the thing that you do want to do that you do love. Like yeah. it's not a waste of time. No, I learned how to interview people on that show. That's like a massive skill that like you can't teach with unless you do it. And so, so from there I ended up leaving in 2017. I was like, I was really hard decision. I was making a lot of money and I was like, I need. Wait, I have to ask I, you. I am a yeah, huge yeah. fan of Unreal on Lifetime. Oh my God. Is everyone asked. it <laughs> an accurate portrayal of what it's like to work for The Bachelor? So Taylor, I have never seen Unreal. Um, I refuse to watch it because that show has won like a Peabody Award. Yes. And bachelor's never been nominated for anything and i know like the hard work that goes into it so i can't i can't answer that I, i've never seen it i can't speak to it um but i love i can tell you i loved like there was there was so much about that job that i just loved and that i learned about love and heartbreak and so it was a really hard decision to leave but after two and a half years i was like well you know what i moved to la seven years ago or whatever amount of years ago to be a host yep. i've never done it I got to jump. So again, I jumped. I've, I've constantly jumped and it's constantly worked out. I'm in awe of you. Um, Honestly, you really, you're, you're very, you're very much an inspiration because a lot of people just let life happen. And like I said earlier, I let guys pick me to date me. I let the guy that I married find me. I, I pursued my job at Sirius, but I was never going to leave and they fired me, which is the only reason I was able to leave and then do my next thing. So I like I'm kind of guilty of letting life happen and you like listening to you. It's very inspiring. Like, don't let life happen to you. And this is somebody saying it who's done it like and I'm lucky enough that things kind of just fell into place as they did. But like you have to take, you know, the bull by the fucking horns, which you do, Nas. Like, that's what that's like. Look at your. This is why your resume is so fucking impressive because you have the courage <laughs> to be like, this is great. I'm making great money. I really like what I do, but it's not the dream. And so you just keep lily padding to get to the dream, which is fucking admirable. So I just want to say that. Well, thanks. Really. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people, and just so, just so everyone knows, like I was never ready for anything. Um, you have to get comfortable You'll with never being be ready. on. You'll never, you'll be never ready. be ready. You have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Marissa Mayer, she was the former CEO of Yahoo. She has like my favorite quote. And she says, I always did something I was a little not ready to do. I think that's how you grow when yeah. there's that moment of, wow, I'm not really sure I can do this. And you push through those moments. And that's when you have a breakthrough. <laughs> 
And I read that and I was like, yes. So every moment I was never ready. I was terrified. I was scared. I was unemployed um, for a long time after I left Bachelor. I was very sad. I fell into a depression. I got heartbroken. Um, All this stuff happened to me. But then I started a support group for people that are heartbroken. That would have never happened if a guy never broke my heart and I never left The Bachelor. Right. Um, The Dodgers hired me. I was like, oh, man, like I'm Dominican. This is kind of embarrassing. But I I don't know as much about baseball as I do about these other sports. I didn't let that. I didn't let that prevent me from not trying. Like, don't strike yourself out before before going up to bat. Yeah. Because. A lot of people are like, well, I'm not as good. Like there's other people out there that are better. And let me just tell you like a secret of life. Uh-huh. There are ten, there are millions of people out there that are better and know more about baseball, know more about movies, know more about TV than I do. But I have the job. Right. And so it's not about who knows, who knows more. It's about who's right for the job. And you have to stop thinking, why me? And start thinking, why not me? If somebody has to fill that role, why can't I be that person that fills the role? Exactly. Someone's got, they got to hire somebody. Girl, right? girl, whatever you are taking, put it in a fucking bottle and sell that <laughs> shit. I will buy it. I will, I will invest in it. Stop. The whole shebang. Wait, wait. You're so funny. So, okay. So then, so you leave The Bachelor and then you go work for the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and, yes. And, and then also now, but, but your resume is still not done. It still keeps going. <laughs> yeah. So basically what happens is, um, I'll just tell you the rest of the hosting trajectory real quick in like one sentence. So from, I'm. I'm going to tell you what happened right after I left Bachelor. But as far as hosting goes, I was unemployed for a while. I worked at a YouTube channel called Clever. The Dodgers took a chance on me. They hired me. Terrifying, still to this day, most terrifying job ever. Hosting it live in front of 50,000 people in a stadium. is It's just not fun. (laughs) It's so fun, but it's also when you're a perfectionist, you got to work through a lot. Yeah, Um, Because it's live. There's been times in my career where I'm like, I want this job, I want this job. And then I get and I'm like, I don't want this job anymore. I get this job, I don't like this job. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but that's the job you need the most, right? Because if I can host live in front of 50,000 people, I could pro- I most likely I can host anything. anything. So so from there, then I got my dream job, which is what I currently have now, which is working for Fandango and Rotten Tomatoes yes. at the same company. Yeah, so I host my own show on Rotten Tomatoes called The Ketchup. I talk about the latest and greatest in movies and TV and um, Binge Guide, which is, you know, streaming is huge right now. So it's like, I just finished a show. What do I watch next? This, you can find this all on like their YouTube channel and Instagram and stuff. But um. And yeah, Fandango and with Rotten Tomatoes, I also get to interview casts of movies, which is my dream. But to go back, when I first left Bachelor, I was very sad. I started dating this guy um, and he wasn't, he was the closest thing I've ever had to a boyfriend. We were together for six months. This is totally a story for another day, but all you guys need to know is that I got blindsided. Um, bef- right before I got blindsided though, I got a knock on my door from my neighbor who I'd met like a couple times because I was always traveling for two and a half years with the bachelor. Right. I was like never really in LA. I was paying for an empty apartment. And so she came over and she really opened up to me about her breakup. And one significant thing that she said to me that I'll never forget is she was like, I just need someone to talk to. I can't talk to my mom or my sister about this. And this was a person that why? she broke up with that she was with for 12 plus years. And that, that was exactly my reaction, Taylor. I said, why? And she said, well, I feel like they're going to tell me to move on or that I'm so much better than him. And I'm physically not ready to hear that yet. Okay. And I started to think about this neighbor a lot. 
and while I was like trying to date this guy, which was also very anxiety inducing because I'm always in the gray area. I'm never I've never been like exclusive with someone. I've never felt safe in a relationship. It's always been really like, what are we? But I never, you know, anyway, so she when she said that to me, I was like, the concept that we're more willing to tell strangers how we actually feel is a very real thing because we're we have this fear of being judged. Yep by our friends and family or our friends and family love us so much that they give us advice and they tell us what to do. And sometimes we're not there yet. And you know what, Taylor, most people know what the right answer is anyway. Most people know if they're dating someone that's not good for them. It doesn't change how they feel and it doesn't make them feel better when they have nowhere to go to even express how they feel. So when I got blindsided, I um, had to start seeing a therapist because I was unemployed. I was so sad. Um, Partially, it was partially my fault. I think I was like at home, no job, waiting for a text every day. Right. I was like, I was um, expecting this man to fill up my happiness bucket when I really, I needed to love myself. And so, but through that, I had nightmares. I couldn't sleep. I um, I wasn't hungry. I went to a dermatologist for the first time. I developed a rash. It was like, called like pityriasis rosacea. And the dermatologist was like, "Are did something happen? Are you really stressed? I'm like, yeah, I'm going through a breakup. Like, I was like, are you are you kidding me? Like this, like breakups are physical. And it was so yes. crazy, Taylor, because I had, I had interviewed cast on The Bachelor, but I'd never experienced it for myself. It was such a foreign concept. And I'm like, how does nobody talk about how debilitating heartbreak is? How How is it possible that if you don't feel well, you can go to the doctors and get a note and call your job and say, you know, I'm, I'm not coming in. I have a doctor's note. I'm physically ill. But if you are mentally like going through overwhelming distress or you have a breakup or your dog dies or you lose your job like we're just expected to wake up the next day and resume life as is and then I came across all this research I was googling like how can I make this feeling go away because it feels like it feels like you're stuck it feels like you're being held hostage when you're heartbroken and there was all this research Taylor that says that the same part of your brain that lights up when you're going through physical pain is the same part of your brain that lights up when you're going through emotional pain wow And I just thought, well, that's insane because at least in this country, we're not treating it like it's the same or not. There's nowhere for people to go and people can't afford therapy. So that's really how the concept of Heartbroken Anonymous came to be. And so once a month before COVID, I was doing in-person meetings. Um, They're completely free. There's no crosstalk. It's similar to an AA meeting where you just sort of share how you're feeling, but it's different from an AA meeting because it's not a 12-step program. It's just a place where you can come share your story or not share and just listen to other stories and remind yourself that you're not alone and that everybody is going through this and that there are people around you. So, So it's very important, especially now in isolation, to remember that even if you feel alone, it doesn't mean that you are alone. And so in COVID, I've been doing the meetings every week, and now I'm doing them twice a month over Zoom. So now people from all over the world are joining Heartbroken Anonymous. Wow. There, was a woman from, there was a woman from Mumbai in <sighs> the meeting two weeks ago. I don't even know how she found out about it. But everyone's feeling the same thing. She's feeling the same thing we're feeling over here. <laughs> like, and honestly, if it's any consolation, I, I'm a I'm a serial monogamist, okay? And I, again, that's not something, that's something that maybe I used to be proud of, but I'm not anymore. Like, the f- I'm not, I cannot know. I was going to say I'm not going to be alone. I can't be alone. And uh-huh. that, and I have massive issues with self-love that I need to work on. And I really pray and hope to the 
baby jeebus above that, you know, <laughs> that it's you cannot love yourself and still be in a good relationship because, like, I'm so in love with my girlfriend and, like, I really want this to be it for me. Like, I have never loved like this. I don't want – if it doesn't work out with us, honestly, I don't think I could ever find it again. And I, I would just be content being single or finding a really old, 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 really, really rich dude <laughs> and not just spend yeah. his money. But – I love it. <laughs> but I, love I do it. feel <laughs> – but I, you know, I, I, I think, I think there's a lot of people who are in relationships and they look at single people and there is this idea that like, oh, we feel bad for single people. But I think there's a lot of people who maybe have in their lives settled or know that they're not good at being alone in self-love and really admire people who are single. So I do want single people to know that as well, that, you know, Aww, seriously. That's really nice of you to say, Taylor. I, and just so you know, you, you made a great point. It's not, you're never going to be fixed. Like, you know, it's not. It's also unhealthy to say, well, I need to learn how to love myself first. It doesn't mean you can't find someone and be with them and be happy while you're on that journey. Right. Um, but it depends. It, it's a spectrum. Like I really actually wasn't in a place to date someone back then. Right. Um, because I really, really, truly didn't love myself back then. But I can say right now I do and I am ready, you know, and not, or I'm trying to every day. Right. And that, well, and I, and I can say being in a relationship, I actually still know I need to work on loving myself. You know, it's something that my partner's actually helping me do, which I think is a, like probably an exception to the rule, not the rule. But um, I'm it's still like I'm doing the hard work. But I do. I really think that, you know, I think there's a lot of people in relationships right now who are also really lonely. You know what I mean? That's the thing, too. Yeah. I think we automatically look look at people in relationships we're like oh they've got that figured out and I can promise you right honey sometimes a relationship can make you more lonely than when you're alone a hundred percent that is that is so accurate and I can tell you the meetings are anonymous so I'm not going to share names but there are a lot of people that have come to meetings that are still in relationships because again the me heartbreak is everything so from infertility to miscarriages to um, people that, that don't have a home affected by homelessness like the, all these people sit around and talk about it and it's really interesting to hear all the different stories it's, it's magical in a way um, because all these people from different life backgrounds sort of come together and talk about it. And it reminds you exactly what you're saying that loneliness like doesn't discriminate. And, and we are, we are in a pandemic right now, but people don't realize that loneliness is an epidemic. Yeah. Um, back in the day, living alone is a very modern thing. Yeah. It's like, loneliness wasn't even a word until like Shakespeare, I think, you know, like it wasn't even a common word. Um, but yeah, back in the day, people didn't live alone. Like you had to be around people in order to survive. And that's still very instinctual. So so it's important to surround yourself with people, even if you are alone or if you're in a relationship and you feel alone. It's important to have a place to go to to express how you feel. Naz, where can people go to join the support group? So you can go to heartbrokenanonymous.com um, and you can sign up for our newsletter. So you'll always be notified when signups open up for a meeting. They do fill up pretty quickly. I, I'm trying to find the balance of how many people to let in because I also want it to be somewhat intimate, but yes. I also want to help as many people uh, that need it or give people a space that need it. So heartbrokenanonymous.com on Instagram at heartbroken underscore anonymous, or I'm on Instagram at Naz Perez. Um, so you can DM me or message us there and yeah, the meetings, there's two meetings for this month of July. Um, they haven't happened yet. So you guys can sign up for them on the website. Now I'm in awe of you. You are fucking fantastic. <laughs> you were really, you're spectacular. I mean, I, so are you Taylor? Well, fine. I'll take it. But you're, you're more spectacular. You are just, no, no you're very, no, there's no more. There's no more. <laughs> you're, you're in a movie theater in the Hamptons. No. So I beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> just to bring it full circle you know 
Naz, you're yeah. spectacular. Seriously, guys, make sure to follow Naz at Naz Perez. It's N-A-Z-P-E-R-E-Z on Instagram. And check out her podcast, I Don't Get It. Um, and then, yeah, and definitely Heartbroken Anonymous. I, I, I really think a lot of my listeners, Naz, you're going to have some new joiners. I'm not joking. Yay! Because, yay. like, even when it comes to, like, my the, the audience I built with the radio show and the podcast – like right. a lot of like we have a really big Facebook community. I'm not allowed in it because it's like mom like crashing the party. So like I just like let the kids go to the basement and drink the beer. But um, you're so funny. I need I I'm always in our Facebook group like commenting on people's stuff. No, like I'm literally not allowed. Like I'm like, can I join? They're like, you know, you can't sit with us. I'm like, fine, fine, fine. That's I'll so pay funny. the mortgage. You'll drink my beer. <laughs> just give me your keys in a basket so nobody drives That's home. That's really funny. Um, That's funny. But but like they they're they a part of the reason why they're so invested in the show I know it's it's not even it's beyond me they've developed relationships with, with each other and like a commonality and so they're and like the number one question I get all the time is like how do you make friends as an adult you know because mm. loneliness loneliness it really I mean even outside of romantic loneliness like you were saying mm-hmm. I think we should all go back to commune living what do you think now that- I well listen I've I'm studying up on loneliness I've been doing that a lot in quarantine um because loneliness is really what heartbreak is it's it's behind addiction it's behind violence it's behind all of this stuff is just all of us wanting a sense of belonging and when you go back to like you were saying to our ancestors like we didn't evolve as a species because we were fast and strong and stuff we evolved because we were in groups and we would plan and organize like okay how do we trap this lion like it was all doing stuff together so now that people live alone now that, you know, divorce is a thing, individualism, individualism in America is a very real thing. Like we've sort of separated and, and escaped that. And there's been a lot of studies made. Like I'll just share one with you because I know we're like wrapping up. Yes. But um, this man, Nick Epley, he lives in Chicago and he did this study about people on the transit system in Chicago. And, you know, when you go on a train, Taylor, or a bus or a plane, like you most people want to find a place where they don't have to sit next to anyone yes. else. Right. You think you think that you it is more peaceful to sit by yourself. Right. Right. Well, they actually conducted this study where they um, interviewed people after transit. And it turns out that the people that sat next to a stranger and made a genuine connection um, reported feeling happier. And so it is proven scientifically that you will be happier if you make a connection. So if you're feeling lonely, like don't be scared to talk to a stranger. And I think a lot of the problems that we have in the world today are because of a lack of empathy and because people don't want to see or talk to each other. And now the pandemic so, has put it like at least one, if not the, like five more layers right. between us and connecting. Right. Right. You can't, you don't, you can't even be within six feet of someone now. I know. So yeah. Yeah. It's important. And so I'd love for anyone listening to come check it out and, and yeah, just build on those connections. Say hi to somebody at the grocery store, smile at someone. It'll, it'll genuinely make you feel happier. You can smile at them. They can see your eyes smiling. Through your mask. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> With your mask on, just like give them a little wink. You know, if you have a lot of bow, like extra Botox on your forehead, like me, maybe like me you need too. to like, yeah, just don't be creepy, I guess. You guys, don't forget, uh, you can DM <laughs> Naz, Naz Perez, and also uh, you can go to heartbrokenanonymous.com. Yep. Amazing, Naz. You are phenomenal. I'm hoping this is just the beginning. I want to talk to you all the time. 
<laughs> I know. Are, are we friends now? No, I'm so in awe of you. I just want to say, like, you've so much going on. And um, even just, like, me looking you up before we, like, went on the podcast, I was like, wow, she's doing so much. She has her radio show. She has this. So I think we're very much in line and in tune. And 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 your story, honestly, about your divorce is so is so inspiring. So Thank um, you. I'm in awe of you as well. We're kindred spirits. We're bosom buddies. Buzzum buddies. <laughs> I love it. You guys, Naz, thank you so much. Uh, you guys, that's it for us this week on the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Until then, next podcast, bye, girl, bye. <laughs>